There's no lack of reason to be skeptical of massive military American support in international wars. But what about Ukraine? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. After living many decades myself and seeing virtually no breaks between one war after another, and as one who is frankly obsessed with how the mysteries of how the First World War became the mindless juggernaut of industrialized slaughter that it was, seeing the ubiquity of blue and yellow flags, stickers, and magnets everywhere in support of American support for Ukraine, as a lefty whose skepticism and generalized anti-war sentiment is part of my identity, I have, of course, had questions about the big military support the United States is injecting into the newest European war. The aggressive policies of the U.S. are, in fact, so often behind political violence around the world. Could it really be that this war is just what it looks like? Imperialist Russia waging a brutal war whose standard operating procedure seems to be War crimes against millions of citizens in Ukraine, could it be that it's that straightforward? What's the role of NATO? Aren't they at least partially to blame? Some on the anti-war left lately have not only been raising these questions, but have actually started to make alliances with the right in opposing U.S. support for Ukraine's defense. Is that not highly troubling? Evidence of this is a recent Rage Against the War Machine rally on February 19, 2023. Our guest today celebrated historian Michael Kazin in a new online issue of Dissent magazine calls for us on the, what I consider, sensible left to take this on and reject the left-right alliance against Ukraine. Michael Kazin, thank you so much for being with us today on Keeping Democracy Alive. Great to be here again. Michael Kazin is professor of history, Georgetown University, co-editor emeritus of Dissent magazine. His most recent book discussed on a previous Keeping Democracy Alive, What It Took to Win, A History of the Democratic Party, just came out in paperback by Macmillan. It's a New York Times book review editor's choice and one of Kirkus Review's 10 best U.S. history books for 2022. Again, it's called What It Took to Win, A History of the Democratic Party. He also wrote American Dreamers, How the Left Changed a Nation, The Populist Persuasion in American History, A Godly Hero, The Life of William Jennings Bryan, and another book I urge anyone interested in the First World War to read, War Against War, The American Fight for Peace, 1914 through 1918. Kaysen has contributed to the Washington Post, The Nation, Democracy, The New York Times Book Review, Foreign Affairs, and many other publications and websites. Well, mincing no words, you say, if American leftists take seriously their commitment to self-rule and loathing of foreign aggression, they should shed their ambivalence about supporting Ukraine, end of quote. In your truly important book about American opposition to the war in Europe in 1914, you shed light on the 
too little known today, but then highly popular pervasive opposition to U.S. military involvement in that European war. You write, the Socialist Party's opposition to entering the First World War provoked serious state repression, but later gained a measure, a measure of redemption. And may I remind listeners that the Socialist Party was a significant party back in the early part of the 20th century. So they, the, their party's opposition to entering the war provoked furious state repression afterwards and then gained a measure of redemption. And the American left 20 years later proved prescient again in the late 1930s when they rallied to defend the Spanish Republic against a right-wing military uh, in Spain and its fascist allies, Italy and Germany. But then in 1956, uh, leftist hopes for the communist country of the Soviet Union got in the way of actual reality, an ugly reality. You say American communists backed the Soviet Union's crushing of the Hungarian Revolution. Mm -hmm. That was a very big mistake, in most people's opinion, which doomed the American left of the 50s and opened up a space for a new left. It can be no surprise that the left in America these days reactively looks to U.S. imperialism as the cause of many worldwide problems, often with good reason. But you argue that Ukraine is a piece of the puzzle that just doesn't fit that familiar U.S. imperialism pattern. What concerns you, and frankly me as well, is what you say is a sizable number of American leftists have embraced an alternate reality. Well, please tell us about what people like the ever-insistent for his voice to be heard, Chris Hedges, and what it calls itself uh, a Green Party have to say. And what do you mean by alternate reality here? Well, um, and thanks for you know going through my, my argument for me. Uh, uh, I think you summarized it pretty well. You know, I think that uh, what a lot of people on the left, uh, like Hedges, like the Green Party, uh, like uh, Glenn Greenwald, who uh, shows up a lot on uh, Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, I'll get into that right-left uh, alliance a little bit later. Um, they, they seem to think that that uh, United States can never be on the right side. Uh, that what they call the deep state can never be on the right side. Um, rather than analyzing, you know, each war, um, both morally and strategically, uh, on its own terms. Uh, look, I agree with you um, that um, most wars the United States has been involved in the U.S. Uh, in retrospect, were a bad idea. Uh, the Mexican War was obviously a bad idea. That was a land grab. Uh, the Spanish-American War uh, was a bad idea. The Cubans were about to get their independence without us. World War One, as I write in War Against War, I, I think was a, a bad idea. But was World War Two a bad idea? You know, what would it have been a good idea to get involved um, in the Spanish Civil War to stop uh, Hitler and Mussolini from uh, uh, flexing their muscles? So I think. Um, the problem with people on the left, uh, like Greenwald, like uh, Hedges, like the Green Party, like a bunch of other people too, some people have the Nation magazine, uh, which I write for a lot, but uh, um, there's there's a sense that um, it's always America's fault, whatever happens to the world, uh, that there's no separate dynamics from that. Uh, uh, the idea that, that Putin uh, is only acting because he's been uh, surrounded by NATO and he's striking out to get some breathing room. Um, I think is uh, a very bad analysis. Um, as, I, as I mentioned in this little piece in, on the Dissent website, 
it's probably a bad idea uh, after the Berlin Wall fell, after the uh, Soviet Union fall, fell apart for uh, NATO to expand as quickly as it did. Um, but at the same time, the countries that wanted to join NATO were not pressured to join NATO. They wanted to join NATO because they were afraid of uh, of renewed Russian aggression. And and uh, we forget that that under the czars and then under the Bolsheviks and communists and now under Putin, uh, Russia has been an expansionist state. Uh, uh, Russians have felt like uh, the Russian governments have felt like they needed, you know, warm weather ports and uh, they needed uh, a lot more uh, space to. Uh, uh, good, good fertile land to grow uh, wheat on, and Ukraine is a great uh, uh, area for, for, for the growing of wheat and other right. other cereals. So, you know, I think um, uh, if if you think if you see the whole world uh, and all foreign policy through the prism of American imperialism, uh, you have a very unrealistic view of how the world works. Um, uh, the United States is not as powerful as it was in the early 1990s, for example, when NATO did expand. Uh, China is a gross, a growing power. India, in certain ways, is a growing power. Um, so um, there's a there's a strange sort of uh, really people on the left are saying almost exactly the same thing that Tucker Carlson is saying, almost exactly the same thing mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, former President Trump are saying, and more recently, I think just yesterday, um, uh, the next. Uh, a uh, big uh, 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 figure to jump into the Republican primaries, uh, the governor of Florida, uh, DeSantis, uh, basically supported that view as well, that we have no interest in being there. We don't care. This is, it's just a battle between two countries, neither of which we have any stake in. We should stay out. Of the, uh, we, just, just, we, we should stay out. Um, so I think that's, you know, a, a real a real mistake, both morally and in terms of trying to stop authoritarian uh, mm. uh, governments from getting more power as well. Yeah, and the name of this show, which I, we picked before Trump got elected, amazingly enough, keeping democracy alive. You know, I, I, one has to wonder a little bit about how much democracy there is in Ukraine. But as you describe what what Russia- well, they had, they, had, they had an election. You know, they a pretty free election. They were they were opposition candidates, and Zelensky won the election. So. Indeed, and uh, if if anybody hasn't seen the uh, the TV show from Ukraine uh, uh, featuring Zelensky before he became president, it's oh, yeah. it's rather amazing. I can't think of the name of it now, but it's no, it's, I can't either. It's it's pretty funny. But uh, as as you describe what what Russia is looking for to its west, the word Lebensstrom comes up. <laughs> 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 what was that, and 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 how? What's what's the uh, place of yeah? That? Well, I wouldn't want to. Again, analogies can be history can be dangerous. Uh, True. I don't. I don't think Putin is like Hitler. I don't think he wants to take over all of Europe. Uh, he wants to. He wants to reestablish the old uh, Soviet Empire and the old mm-hmm. Tsarist Empire before then. Uh, I think that he does. In fact, he's been pretty clear uh, about that. Uh, Lebensraum was what uh, uh, Hitler yeah. actually is called. You know, it's German for living room, uh, yeah. living space, and. And uh, he believed that uh, Germans in, in Germany and there were Germans in other countries in Central Europe as well uh, needed more room to uh, expand. Uh, they should really, he, he thought, racially control uh, the Slavic nations. He thought Slavic peoples, including the Russians, were inferior to uh, to Aryans. Uh, so I think it's it's. I mean, I think it's unfair to say Putin is wants to take over all of Europe. That's certainly not true. But he does want to reestablish the grandeur of. Uh, uh, of Russia, um, and the grandeur of Russia, of course, included Ukraine, uh, and uh, the Ukrainians uh, would like to be an independent country. Uh, so, in that sense, 
it's sort of a classic battle that leftists used to uh, talk about, about national liberation struggles. Remember that back in the 60s and 70s? Huh? So one of the reasons why people like me opposed the Vietnam War. Yes is because uh, we thought, well, the, the, the government in North Vietnam, you know, in retrospect, was a communist government. They didn't allow free elections. It wasn't a democratic government. But um, they were uh, supporting the right of Vietnamese to be independent of uh, foreign rule. And uh, in the end, they won. They did. And it's amazing to me how... I believe it was 1945, I'm not sure about that, when, when Ho Chi Minh, after they had, the, the Vietnamese nationalists had defeated the French, uh, the uh, Japanese, and, and they wanted to defeat the French as well. And they expected, they flew, I believe it was uh, Ho Chi Minh who flew an American flag literally outside of a balcony in, in Vietnam, expecting America to live by its words of supporting independent uh, nations uh, to be free from oppressive uh, colonialist uh, powers like France was at the time. Uh, so, and the U.S. reputation for, for not living up to that, for uh, being involved in, in trying to uh, have so much power over uh, what would like to be independent countries, is certainly troubling, no question about that, but it, it has to fit. And it doesn't, <clears throat> if I'm reading you right, it sounds like it doesn't really fit here. I mean, NATO, you know, before the war, in the Russian war in Ukraine began, I, I could understand that Russia was fearful of NATO expansion and that uh, a lot of the hawks in America had talked about supporting NATO expansion uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, they, were, they were scared of NATO. They've been invaded from that direction in the past. I seem to remember before the war against Ukraine started, Putin was offering to negotiate that. What was NATO perhaps too hasty in seeking to expand? What about NATO's role in all this? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a fair question, of course, and it's the, strong, the strongest argument I think uh, among those who oppose U.S. involvement. There is the idea that uh, uh, NATO expanded and surrounded Russia and threatened Russia, um, but. Look, the situation, as you know, 30 years ago uh, was that was that uh, there was now just Russia, not the USSR anymore. And and uh, countries that had been under uh, the Soviet thumb, to be honest, uh, right. uh, did want to get out of it and wanted to join the West, quote, quote, um, both for economic reasons, uh, because there was no <laughs> percentage anymore and being close to, to the Russians economically. Yeah. Um, and um, and also. Um, uh, they, they felt there was danger, at least, that uh, uh, the Russians, once they got involved again, could uh, try to take them over. Um, so, you know, and, and most of those countries were, I should say, democratic countries, not all of them, certainly, but uh, um, most of them were. And uh, it's a real question, I think, whether um, uh, there's any justification that Putin has in invading Ukraine because... NATO expanded uh, into, say, the Baltic countries, you know, <laughs> um, Estonia and, and so forth, uh, Latvia, mm -hmm. Lithuania, uh, or Moldova on, on, on his borders as well. Uh, I mean, if, if that was the reason why he's going to war, uh, why not invade those countries? Well, of course, he couldn't invade those countries because NATO would, <laughs> would attack him. Um, uh -huh. But uh, I just think, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a, missing, a missing link here in the explanation. Um, as I said, usually uh, Occam's razor should come into play here. That is a simpler explanation, a more straightforward explanation for what's going on is usually the best one. And the most straightforward explanation, to my mind, is 
Ukraine was part of uh, the Russian Empire. It was part of what I think was a Soviet Empire, and Lithuanians uh, uh, got independence uh, 30 years ago when, they, when the Soviet Empire fell apart, and they made very clear they want to be independent. Um, so to me, again, it's, it's more straightforward. Now, would it be a better idea if NATO did not exist? Um, well, maybe, but you know, you can see now if uh, you have a, you know, uh, if you have a Russia led by a figure like Putin who who was willing to invade countries he thinks uh, should be part of uh, his sphere, then you can be sympathetic, I think, to why countries want to join NATO. Now, of course, the danger, and and other other people on the left and the right, of course, as well, are pointing this out, is the danger of. Of of a, of a of a World War Three, a, a danger of really getting into war with the Soviets, uh, excuse me, with the <laughs> slip uh, with yeah. with the Russians um, and their allies like Belarus um, and maybe Iran too, for that matter, who's of course giving uh, the Russians a lot of drones um, to fight mm. Ukraine, um, and that's a, and that's a real danger. But um, uh, I think. Biden has been pretty uh, prudent in not sending jet fighters, uh, in not, um, of course, uh, committing American troops at all. Right. Uh, uh, there's a few in Poland, I think, but uh, no one's anywhere near the battlefield uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and also warning the Russians about using tactical nuclear weapons. Um, and the question is, if if it's right for us to help the Ukrainians, uh, then the question, of course, is, you know, how far should we go? Uh uh, to do that. And I'm not a strategist. I'm not mm-hmm. someone who can, you know, say, oh, I can see what's happening on the battlefield and doing boss and we should do this, we should do that. That's not, mm-hmm. I don't have that, that kind of expertise. You have to have someone else on who, mm-hmm. who has. But but I do think um, it's reasonable to say the U.S. should do uh, as much as it can to help Ukrainians uh, without risking the danger of uh, going having a direct battle with, with Putin. Um, now, of course, Putin could try to involve the United States because that might be the only way he feels uh, he can win. Mm. Uh, if that happens, it'll be terrible. But um, uh, if if we uh, did not get involved, you know, militarily anywhere in the world ever because of the danger of, of a war, well, you know, maybe that'd be a good idea. But un- unfortunately, the United States is not the only aggressive country in the world. <laughs> I mean, you started out talking about American aggressive. Yeah, but, you know, China wants to take over Taiwan again, and the Taiwanese don't want uh, – they, right. they like being an independent country. They don't want that to happen. Um, and so – Again, uh, to get back to what I said originally, it's important, I think, to think about the fact that other countries are independent agents. You know, they aren't all all everything they do is not is not uh, conditioned on, not caused by what uh, what the United States is doing. Uh, you know, they have, they're independent agents. The Chiinese want to take Taiwan back since right. since uh, Chiang Kai-shek fled to Taiwan after the communists took over in 1949. And and, um, you know, so. Uh, my, my argument about NATO, I guess, and I'm going on too long here, but my argument about NATO, I guess, is that is that yes, uh, it would be better if we didn't have these these entangling military alliances. Yes, it'd be better if uh, if NATO had not expanded so quickly. But that that happened, uh, and we're not going to roll it back now. And and to say that Putin is anyway justified in invading a sovereign country because he's afraid that NATO is too powerful. Again, that's that's uh, you know, it does sound a little like. Uh, uh, after World War One, you know, uh, as you know, uh, the Versailles Treaty, uh, you know, was very punitive against Germany, and uh, Hitler used that as an excuse to uh, to take over uh, Czechoslovakia and take over Austria, and then uh, in the end, start World War Two. Uh, it's so there's so much to it, and uh, I'm reminded of the the brilliant uh, philosopher Will Rogers. 
uh, <laughs> who, who said, or, no, no, I'm, I'm thinking, Will, Will Rogers says some great quotes, but the one I'm thinking of is, is H.L. Mencken, <laughs> where he said, uh, well, Will Rogers, since I brought it up, he said, I'm not a member of any organized party, I'm a Democrat. But H.L. Uh, Mencken said, to every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's wrong. <laughs> there are complex answers to this, you know, to, to divide everything up, you know, between it's either the U.S. imperialists or the other side are the good guys. It just doesn't work like that. It's not. That I agree. Simple. I agree. And also, look, in wars, Bert, in wars, you know, unfortunately, one has to make a choice. Yes. Uh, that one has to. If you stand aside and say they're both uh, wrong. Um, and you know, a hundred years ago, I think you know, I think the left was was completely right to yes. oppose World War One, because uh, yes. I think this was a war between different empires. Uh, mm-hmm. Germany was probably more at fault uh, in that war, but it was, uh, you know, they were all empires fighting for more more power and more uh, larger spheres of influence in the world. And and this is not that it's not that kind of war. It's not the same kind of war, even though a lot of people on the left and some on the right would like to see it as the same kind of war. Yeah. Yeah, well, a, a cookie cutter isn't fitting here. It's just, it's just not. Uh, the, they're fighting for their independence. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. As I said, our guest is Michael Kazin, professor of history at Georgetown University and co-editor emeritus of Dissent Magazine. And we're discussing uh, an article uh, of, of concern to a lot of us on the, what I consider sensible left, is an article <laughs> in the uh, uh, new online issue of Dissent Magazine, uh, where he calls... Uh, for uh, rejecting the left-right alliance against Ukraine. This left-right alliance, there's so much to talk about here. I mean, there's a lot of details. But what is this left-right alliance? What was the Rage Against the War Machine rally on February 19th? Talk about that, please. Who who was there and, and what was said? Well, I didn't actually attend the rally. I just saw it on their live stream. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that's how we uh, witness a lot of things these days, isn't it, on our screens? Um, true. <clears throat> uh, well, I first say it was not a very big rally. Um, I'm not I use that. I use an example of, of um, left and right coming together. But it was about 1,000 people, evidently. Uh, it was in the sort of, you might say, holy uh, land of protest that is in front of Lincoln Memorial, you know, where <laughs> – where Martin Luther King Jr., you know, gave his famous speech in uh, August 1963 at the Rally for Jobs and Freedom, and it's um, where a lot of anti-war rallies during the Vietnam War uh, were staged, and which I used to go to back in the 60s and mm-hmm. early 70s. Um, but it, it uh, was a, a rally which included um, uh, the Libertarian Party, endorsed it. Libertarian Party is not a big party these days, but it did endorse it. A Green Party didn't officially endorse it, but they supported it um, uh, on their on their website. Um, and uh, former uh, uh, presidential candidate Jill Stein, twenty sixteen, remember her of uh, the Green Party was supposed was supposed to speak. Evidently, she did not speak. I, I misspoke. I, I, I she was on the speakers list, but uh, she didn't actually, didn't actually speak. I said she spoke uh, on the um, in my article. But uh, Chris Hedges, who's a pretty popular author. Uh, mm. Former, I think, New York Times reporter um, who's uh, written popular books against against wars in general uh, spoke, um, and Ron Paul spoke. Former uh, oh, libertarian right. uh, Republican uh, congressman from Texas, of course, the father of uh, Rand Paul, who shares his views about about Ukraine, um, and uh, several other you know figures on, on both sides. And 
really this this showed i think i i used it as an example showed uh this alliance between activists you know on the on the right and left uh hmm. agreeing that the problem was the american war machine the problem was american uh uh military uh, co- uh corporations making money off war uh the kind of thing that of course the left is uh, often talked about uh perpetual war mentality the green party called it uh uh they said no no good, no good guys in this crisis. Um, mm. And actually, um, I saw on the screen some American flags being flown. Uh, right. Excuse me, some Russian flags being Russian flown. Flags, yeah. Not American, right? Not American. Uh, there might have been American flags flown too. But uh, and that, of course, was uh, particularly alarming because uh, if the problem here is there's no good guys, well, why are people flying Russian flags? Now, I'm not saying most people are flying Russian flags, uh, but there was a certain sympathy, I think, for Putin's cause. Uh, um, uh, as as you were as you were summarizing, people say the problem is NATO expanded, and, and that was certainly a, a popular argument that a lot of speakers were uh, were expressing uh, at the rally. So, uh, and as, as I said before, too, I mean, if you look at the uh, the statements uh, that uh, well, look at Tucker Carlson any any time. Tucker Carlson has the most popular. So, quote, quote, news show in yes. in, uh, uh, in the history of cable news, uh, three or four million uh, watches every night. Uh, and and he's had Tulsi Gabbard on, uh, who mm. used to be a leftist, who now mm. uh, sometimes uh, 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 hosts his show and when uh, Tucker's away on holiday. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard also spoke at the rally, uh, at this uh, rally on in, in the middle of February. Uh at the memorial, and, and of course, she's an example, I think, of how left and right can come together, you know, uh, in this yeah. sense. Because she used to be, you know, she ran for president. Remember that in in, yeah. uh, in twenty in twenty twenty, uh, pretty recently. Mm. Uh, it didn't get very far, but mm. she was in some of those debates. Uh, and now her her main platform, her main her main uh, uh, idea that's that's driving her uh, uh, is opposition to the quote deep state, opposition to uh, the U.S. helping the war, helping Ukraine, and that means that she's pretty easily slipped from being a sort of heroine of some people on the left mm-hmm. to being a heroine of people on the right. So again, there's not a lot of difference at all in the views of these groups, uh, no matter what their ideological home uh, might be. One thing that I, I find fascinating as you describe it, and I think about, you know, there's this, it, it's so much easier just to react and, and, you know, react with what's familiar, emotional reactions, knee-jerk reactions. People, you know, don't like war. Uh, there are, in fact, American uh, weapons contractors that are certainly involved here, and they're making money, no doubt about it. But is that the reason? And, and, and this whole idea of deep state, I've, I've long found almost amusing in that, they're certainly giving, I think, a lot more credit than is due to, uh, you know, people that are just working in the government, doing their job and, and, and imagining some, uh, you know, evil, uh, you know, in a deep state that, that has a specific uh, plan in mind to take over and to uh, destroy democracy or something like that. It's, you know, 
it, it concerns me that instead of looking into the reality, the specifics of a situation, there's this knee-jerk uh, uh, alternate reality in this particular case. I mean, yes, no question about it. The U.S. has been uh, imperialist and, and, and incredibly uh, aggressive militarily in lots and lots of places, but maybe not this place. And what the other thing I've seen, you've probably heard this, Michael, that— uh, I've actually heard some people say that the that the uh, images on TV of incredible destruction of residential buildings and schools and hospitals in Ukraine is a fake. I just it, it amazes me how they can how they can say that and just knee jerk say uh, that, that that isn't a reality here that there's some staged play. It's just. Uh, well, of course, it happens in, in in all wars to a certain extent. What's the what's the famous uh, line about uh, um, in wars? You know, the first the first casualty is uh, is mm-hmm. the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget who said that. Maybe yeah, it's Churchill. Uh, but uh, I mean, like every 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 in every war. I mean, the, the Russians, you know, obviously want to make it seem as if uh, Ukrainians are Nazis. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. because there is there is a a, a small pro. Uh, a, a small militia, militia in uh, is fighting on U- on the side of Ukraine, uh, which does have a background uh, being pro-Nazi. But mm-hmm. uh, um, but then, of course, the Russians are using this Wagner Brigade, which is uh, mostly made up of, uh. of of poor guys who were released in prison and going off uh, on, on suicide missions. So um, you know, wars. Look, I, I say this piece too, and it's obvious. I mean, uh, I'm not a pacifist, but uh, I, I I never think wars are are, are uh, ways to heal, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's wrong with the world, you know, there's nothing uh, about wars that, that's good uh, uh, ever, even, even wars that are necessary like World War II uh, are, are not wars that, or the Civil War on the Union side are not wars that, wars one would wish had not been fought, one would wish their, uh, the problems that right. caused the war could have been solved without, without war. Wars are horrible things, and right. that's certainly true. Uh, uh, and people make money off wars are even more horrible. Uh, but, but at the same time, they happen. And once they happen, one has to make a judgment. And, um, uh, and as you say, look, you know, in the, uh, in the 60s, when I was a new leftist, uh, I thought the FBI and the CIA were, the, were, of course, on the other side, which they were, and yes. trying to get us, which, yes. which they were. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but are they, but again, do serious, serious analysis of the FBI or, or the CIA you know, getting the U.S. The US into uh, uh, helping the Ukrainians? <laughs> I mean, that's, um, one, one would want some evidence somewhere uh, that that was, uh, that was going on. And, um, uh, you know, I think, look, everything, everything right now, as you know, uh, that happens uh, in the United States, uh, every policy that any, any um, whoever's in power takes, whether it's Trump on the Republicans or now Biden and the Democrats, is going to be opposed by the fiercest partisans on the other side. Uh, um, there's no sort of bipartisanship. You know, we can argue about whether it should be or not, but... but um, and that's it's, it's inevitable that that was going to happen on the war too. Uh, what's not inevitable, and that's why with the article is that people on the left who do stand or should stand for self determination should stand for democracy against autocracy uh, would support, um, in effect, uh, staying out, which in effect means that Putin would win. Uh, so that was not inevitable. 
It, it wasn't. And, you know, as, as you say, war is horrible, but sometimes uh, people need to defend themselves. I mean, I can imagine the people of, of Vietnam, you know, being bombed, being attacked and having this country come in, uh, tremendous military come in. They defended themselves uh, and they, they wanted their independence. And it seems to be happening uh, with, with uh, Ukraine right now. And yeah, Ukraine... I mean, Eastern Europe's history is, is <laughs> there's a lot of divisions there. In fact, I believe my, some of my ancestors came from a nation which is no longer there, which I think is now part of Ukraine, Galicia, which the Russians did attack very brutally in the First World War, much like uh, the Germans uh, did in Belgium, but it doesn't play it up as much. But the, it, the, the borders changed quite a bit there. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And, uh, there's a great, great book, uh, by Timothy Snyder, you've probably heard of people. I've heard of uh, who's a history professor at Yale who's written a lot about Eastern Europe and about Ukraine as well. And he he has a great book. I mean, a horrifying book to read, but a great book uh, called Bloodlands, which which uh, uh, is about all the um, horrific uh, massacres, pogroms, uh, uh, little wars uh, that took place between. Uh, the end of World War One and the beginning of World War Two, uh. in uh, in 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 that part of Eastern Europe, uh, where where in Poland and in uh, Belarus and in Ukraine and other parts of Eastern Europe, um, you know, towns would go back and forth uh, about who controlled them uh, between the Ukrainians or the or the Russians or then the or the Germans. Uh, um, sometimes uh, week by week. And so people who lived those towns didn't know what they could say, who they could support. Uh, and, and, and millions of people died. I mean, Ukraine, of course, three, three million people died in this famine, 1933, the Holodomor, as uh, I think it's, 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 it's a, my, my Ukrainian is very bad, but uh, I think that's the word in Ukrainian. Um, and there are still Ukrainians who, of course, uh, blame, you know, quite rightly, blame, blame the uh uh, blame Stalin for that, and uh, yes. to the extent that that Putin is uh, saying nice things about Stalin, certainly a lot of Putin's people are saying nice things about Stalin uh, as sort of the man who built up, you know, the Soviet Union to be a great power. Uh, not surprisingly, they don't uh, trust anything uh, that Putin will say or do. No, and and a big tough man coming in here to rule the country. Boy, I, I, I ugh, people like uh, Putin may like that and look up to Stalin. I just. Ugh. And, you know, after the First World War, there's another really good book about that called The The Vanquished, Why the First World War uh, Failed to End by, by Robert Gerworth. And it just, the divisions, the, the massacres, it, it, Eastern Europe was certainly an ugly place. And what is now the country of, of Ukraine has been uh, divided somewhat evenly, as I understand it. I may be wrong, but part of... Some of Ukrainians see Ukraine as part of Europe and others who see it as intrinsically linked to Russia. One in three, as I understand it, speaks Russian as their native language. And language is important as part of one's one identity. On March 16, 2014, the Crimeans allegedly voted overwhelmingly for their region to become a part of Russia. Was that legitimate? I don't really... I don't, you know, there's a lot of divisions there, and and Crimea, that's that's a big deal, and maybe I can imagine that Crimea could be part of the bargaining chip in the final if there is an end to this war. Yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not a strategist, I'm not a negotiator, I'm not someone who who can tell you how the war is going to end. I'm not a prophet either, but uh, certainly 
Uh, well, the uh, the election in Crimea, we think, was one of those sort of Soviet-type elections where, uh-huh, I where, where the, the party in power gets 99% of the vote. But, uh-huh. but uh, you know, I, I do think, uh, from what I understand, that, that, that most people in Crimea did come from Russia originally. Uh, they um, uh, do consider themselves ethnically Russian. And, and to the extent that the Ukrainians want to keep the war going so they can take back Crimea, that's probably probably going to be a mistake, and they probably won't be able to do it anyway. Militarily, the U.S. might not support them doing it. Right. But at the same time, I mean, it was actually the, the Khrushchev, the you know, premier of the Soviet Union uh, in the '60s, who who quote gave Crimea back to Ukraine, uh, mm-hmm. even when Ukraine was was a separate um, uh, Soviet Socialist Republic, as all the different parts of the Soviet Union were. They were called SSRs, Soviet Socialist Republics. Right. Even then, Crimea was still part of uh, of Russia uh, because it was a port naval base, uh, and um, so. Uh, it's only pretty recently that, that Crimea was you know, became part of Ukraine. You know, uh, uh, about 40, 50 years ago, um, officially that is. Uh, but you know, there's there are people in Ukraine who's whom Russia is the first language who are fighting and dying for Ukraine. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, a lot of people in Belgium speak French. Doesn't mean they want to be part of France. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, others speak Dutch uh, or Flemish, which is basically Dutch. They're only part of the Netherlands. Uh, uh, we're not going to have a war between France and, and Belgium anytime soon. But uh, uh, and there were there were German speakers uh, in Czechoslovakia who didn't who didn't want to uh, be part of, uh, of didn't want Nazi Germany to take over their country either in in the late 30s. So so what language you speak itself uh, doesn't necessarily uh, 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 mean that you want uh, to be part of the country where the language is, is spoken most in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think there's uh, uh, the fact that uh, Ukrainians uh, are against pretty great odds, despite they have the United States, the Russians still have more people, they still have more arms, they're right there, of course. Uh, they have a much bigger air force by far than Ukrainians do. Yeah. The fact that they're fighting Russia pretty much to standstill, even though they're taking huge losses, uh, much you know per capita, Ukraine has about a, a, about a third of the population of Russia, and that, of course that means they have they have less manpower, and a lot of a lot of Ukrainian men and women, of course, have left uh, for safety, left the country uh, to go to places in the West. Uh, so, so I think the fact that they're holding out uh, against superior odds itself is a sign that. Um, if, if a lot of Ukrainians want to be part of Russia, well, they wouldn't be able to put up this kind of fight, I don't think. Uh, and the fight, the fight is in also the main battles now are happening in the eastern part uh, of Ukraine. Uh, uh, and and, and that's, it's there that most people are uh, native Russian speakers, uh, as I understand it. At least it's half and half. Um, and there the Russians took over uh, and the Ukrainians uh, uh, last fall uh, – Push them back. Uh, people had big parades and were celebrating the fact that Ukrainian army had taken them over again. So again, let's look at you know what's what's really happening as opposed to uh, theories about yeah. you know what what people on the left and some on the right think uh, uh, think is happening. A neat little description. Uh, it, it it isn't working in this case. It, it there's you know some some background to that. But uh, and and it amazed me how some people on the left and even on the right. Have, have agreed that a lot of this stuff is staged. But there are, how they could do that, I have no idea. So many people who have yeah, lost... It would take a lot more, take a lot more uh, um, resources and uh, fancy, 
fancy camera work. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, 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 there, 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 there are neo Nazis who still think the Holocaust didn't happen. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, uh, and, and and people still think the moon landing didn't happen. And, okay. You know, there's, there's, uh, if you if you begin to think every everything that the other side uh, is doing is fake. Uh, it's all fake news. It's all misinformation. Um, then then we can't agree on anything. And at some point, in order to have <laughs> Have to be able to operate, you know, uh, in the world, one has to accept certain things that look like they're actually happening, really are happening. It, it's hard to fake a camera. I mean, the cameras don't usually lie. It, it, it just, I mean, that's, that's one thing, you know, you think about the, the American police wearing body cameras now, and, and they're catching so much uh, police violence against black people. You think about how much of that happened before yep. there was cameras. Yep. My yep. Yep. God, it's just unbelievable. For those who may have just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here. I get to be the host of the show and our guest, a returning guest, Michael Kazin, terrific author. I I love his books. What can I tell you? Uh, in, a, in a new online dissent magazine, uh, is pointing out the, the danger of a new re- left-right alliance against the Ukraine war that the people on the right and some people on the left, and I don't think there's much of a far left. I really don't. I mean, there's barely a left in this country. Uh, but uh, Oh, I don't know. I think I, I disagree with you about that. Go ahead. I disagree with you about that. Well, I mean, DSA, yeah. <laughs> Democrat Socialists of America, has you know close to hundred thousand members, uh-huh. far more than it ever has had. I mean, it's not as large as Socialist Party hundred years ago right. had, um, but per capita. But but certainly, it's uh, it's large, and there's a big progressive caucus in in oh, Congress. Yeah. Uh, and I, I consider that part of the left. Now, if the left is only people who want a revolution, yeah, that's small. Exactly. But um, yeah. but I think uh, people call themselves socialists, a larger group than been a long, long time in this country. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think, I think uh, the left actually, I think I make the, the argument in the, my piece so that you, in dissent, that, you know, if, if, if uh, say, most progressives in Congress decided to agree with um, mm. Josh Hawley and, uh, mm. and, and Donald Trump and, and others on the right uh, that we should not support Ukraine, that would seriously undermine um, the... Um, uh, the effort to help Ukraine, and it would make it very hard, I think, to uh, appropriate money uh, for Ukraine. So that's part of why I wrote the article. is is obviously I don't have any impact on these people, but but to to, to hope at least that that um, so far the support by most progressives, at least in yes. Congress and and most outside Congress, will not uh, will not uh, grow to to support uh, the Glenn, Glenn Greenwald and Green Party and uh, Tulsi Gabbards of the world in their stand. Well, one voice, one of the most credible voices on the left is Bernie Sanders. And I consider, you know, he, economic democracy, very, very bright guy. He's been around for a long time. (laughs) He knows his stuff. I, of course, voted for him a couple times. What is is he saying about this? He's been uh, from the first, from uh, the invasion. uh, in late February 2022, he's been supportive of, of Ukraine. I was going to quote him, but uh, uh, going to keep the piece short. But uh, no, he's been he's been steadfast supportive of Ukraine. Uh, again, he does not want uh, to take the risk, of course, of uh, of uh, getting NATO directly involved uh, and, and U.S. directly involved. And of course, that's that's very that's very wise, as we as we discussed earlier. But no, he's uh, uh, he's he's not going wobbly on this on this question. I no. think, uh, and, and the fact that. You know, he is uh, the most visible, most influential figure on the 
the broad left uh, in the U.S. Uh, should yes. should mean something uh, to folks, and uh, I think he's been he's been right most of the time <laughs> oh, <laughs> about he is. domestic policy as well as foreign policy. I imagine I've disagreed with him, but I don't know of anything I've disagreed with him on so far. I've you know I've known him a little bit since he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a uh, really bright guy. The Liberty I mean, Union, Liberty Union Party. Yes. Yeah. I actually have a bumper sticker that says Liberty Union. I do. From, from those days, from the early 70s when I lived in Vermont. Anyway, and I'm showing my age here. I was born in the 50s. And one thing the world loved about America and that I was so proud of America was our allegedly standing up for independent nations against colonialists. We That was, that was our identity back in the 50s. Then we blew that pretty badly with our war in Vietnam. Is it possible? I mean, it's maybe way too late now. I mean, we've had so much, uh, frankly, imperialist action, so, you know, in the last 50, 60 years or so. Is it possible that our support, our steadfast support for the independent Ukraine might help and might bolster what is a deservedly sullied reputation for supporting independent uh, nations against colonialists and against uh, foreign oppression? Well, we'll see. And it depends who's in power <laughs> um, in Washington. And it depends on what the particular battle or war you know, uh, is. I mean, there's not, uh, it's hardly any um, uh, sort of old-time empires, you know, in, in the way they used to be. I mean, I think right. the, 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 uh, the next battle very well could be about, you know, between, between, between China and Taiwan. You know, uh, yeah, uh, which would be obviously a lot more difficult uh, for the United States to uh, to get involved in, uh, partly because it's so far away, but also because uh, uh, China is has more powerful military, um, and, uh, uh, and and a lot of the nations in Southeast Asia would not get involved get, get involved sure. for that reason. There's no NATO there, you know, nothing like NATO, uh, so that'd be very tough and. Um, and similarly, you know, the Chinese will argue that Taiwan was always part of China. It was always part of the Chinese empire, which it was. Uh, and just like uh, Ukraine was always part of the Russian empire. Um, so the same logic will uh, will prevail there. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, and, and just, to, you know, uh, one, one amendment to what you were saying about uh, 1950s. Well, 1950s, yes, the U.S. said we were the you know, leader of the free world and uh, – uh, but of course, it was nineteen fifties that the U.S. did get involved in in Indochina, you know, uh, yeah. just under Truman helping the French uh, yeah. to try to get back their colony, and then of course uh, supporting the the ZM government in South Vietnam, which uh, was our our client uh, mm. uh, regime there, uh, only supported because uh, only was able to stay in power because of American arms. So, you know, I'm I'm afraid that the anti colonial uh, image is more too rhetorically. Uh, uh, than in reality, um, and and I'm not saying that. Uh, as of course, that the U.S. should support Ukraine because the U.S. is you know has this great you know independent colonial anti-colonial uh, history. It does not. Right. Um, but uh, we do. Uh, I mean, the one thing I think U.S. is right about, and some people on the left will be angry with me for saying this, uh, mm-hmm. is that I think. Uh, the U.S. was right, and even Ronald Reagan was right to say that uh, the Soviet Union was an empire. You know, it was. Mm-hmm. 
as long as we acknowledge the United States had its own empire, a somewhat more informal one, but nevertheless, uh, we had our thumb over most of of uh, most countries in this hemisphere, uh, as well yes, as we uh, a lot of power over countries in Africa and, and Asia as well. So, so as long as you acknowledge that um, you know, the U.S. had an empire and so did the Soviet Union. Uh, then <laughs> I think uh, one has to, again, judge what's happened since uh, that empire fell apart. And that's how, of course, we get to the war in Ukraine. And, and let's face it, and I did a little bit of research on this, and, you know, their Russian imperialism is, and brutality, it's amazing how far back in history it goes. And it goes on and on and on. And even in the, the Central African Republic, uh, their, their violence there has been going on since 2018, uh, and that Putin consistently mourns the loss of the Soviet Empire, I, I you know, and again, as a child of the fifties, uh, I could never, ever have imagined Republicans taking the side of Russia, and the irony is absolutely breathtaking. One can't. I mean, there's always surprises in elections and politics. You know, it's it's guaranteed to be unpredictable. But I wonder about their veiled support for Putin playing out politically in the 2024 elections. Are the people who voted for Trump and you know DeSantis, etc. I wonder. I wonder how they'll go with that. Are they okay with supporting Putin? I mean, he does, you know, claim to be very religious, and and they have a, uh, uh, as you say, uh, when Putin mourns the loss of the Soviet Empire, he he he's uh, replaced the hammer and sickle with the Orthodox cross. I, I wonder about that and how that might play out in America. I mean, they're not dumb, these Republicans. No, and Putin also is, uh, he gives speeches about, he doesn't call it woke culture, but he might as well. You know, he's he's very clear he's against LGBTQ people. Uh, it's very clear he, he wants history uh, that is taught in Russia to talk about the greatness of Russia and not to criticize uh, the... Uh, Atrocities of Stalin, for example, uh, uh, who's seen as a great a great Russian hero, not uh, not a communist, uh, and and as you say, he's uh, he's very close to the Orthodox Church, uh, and uh, the Orthodox Church has sort of blessed his war, uh, which led Zelensky actually to uh, to ban the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, which is not a good thing, but but uh, it's understandable, I guess. Uh, there is a Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which is not the same as a Russian one, but um, you know, I think. Uh, uh, a lot of what goes on is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, uh, if Putin is the enemy of of uh, of the left and if of uh, of the cultural left uh, as well as political left, uh, um, then then uh, a lot of Republicans are going to support and say, well, you know, he's not so bad. I think mm. I, I I quote in the piece uh, Tucker Carlson saying, well, Putin never called me racist. Right. Uh, so. Uh, and if and look, Trump, I don't know if he'll get the nomination or not, but clearly he's still the center of gravity in that party. Um, the neoconservatives uh, who, uh, George W. Bush and, and those who supported him, like David Frum, who wrote uh, some of his most uh, famous speeches, uh, you know, uh, Bill Kristol, who used to be uh, editor of the, of the Weekly Standard. Uh, which went out of business <laughs> because he supposed he opposed Trump. Uh, yeah. They they are now maybe ten percent of the Republican Party, and many of them have even stopped being Republicans altogether. Um, so you know the party is now uh, a party uh, which is you know opposed to uh, having uh, U.S. have any intervention in other in other countries unless. Uh, 
uh, it's about economic uh, uh, intervention, like with China, for example. Mm. Uh, even though they still want, uh, the Trump wing still wants the U.S. military to be by far the most powerful in the world, of course, but they don't want us to help any other countries uh, like, like in Ukraine uh, defend themselves against uh, powers that might want to take them over. So it's, a, it's very much like the America First movement uh, back in 1940, mm. 1941 that opposed mm. U.S. intervention in, uh, in World War II. Again, I don't want to say when Ukraine is like World War II, it's right. not. Right. Uh, analogies don't work historically usually, but at the same time, uh, that point of view, you know, make America great again, America first, uh, you know, the echoes are certainly there. And details do absolutely matter. And one of the things that the left has traditionally said that I agree with, that the U.S. spends way too much which are uh, on what are basically gifts to weapons contractors, building things like the F-35 and these things that cost unbelievable amounts of money, but don't do anything except make a lot of money for the military contractors, what Truman called the war profiteers that he actually helped out. Uh, you point <laughs> out that so far we've spent $46.6 billion on lethal aid to Ukraine. What about that? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> as you say, military hardware is expensive. Uh, but if you compare it to the budget overall, if you compare it to, I mentioned the piece, how much the, we have a new aircraft carrier, um, that was uh, completed, I think, three years ago. Um, I forget exactly when. And it, it, it cost $11 billion all by itself. One aircraft carrier. You know? mm, mm. Uh, and it's unclear what... Uh, $13 billion, excuse me. Um, and it's unclear what... Uh, uh, what aircraft carriers are good for, you know, these days. The military. Yeah, really. I know. Uh, and we have 11 of them. They're not, they're older. They're not as expensive as, uh, as the 11 billion one was. Uh, I think it's the Gerald Ford uh, is, the, is the name of the, the uh, not, not one of our longer serving presidents. But anyway, um, and uh, so, you know, obviously the military budget is, is, is very large and I wish it was smaller. Um, but I guess I'd rather, uh, the 46 billion be used uh, to help Ukraine than um, to build more aircraft carriers. Uh, and and uh, again, look, I think people on the left have a difficult time, and this is I, I do as well. Uh, thinking about what kind of military we should have. Yeah, uh, true. Ideally, ideally we should have a, a military that only defends our borders. Ideally, yes, yes, I agree with that. Unfortunately, the world is not. You know, the ideal world I'd like to have. If the U.S., let, let's do a thought experiment. If the United States uh, did away with uh, all its military except uh, what we, we need to defend the United States and, and obviously do away with, military, with, with nuclear weapons as well, which, of course, could destroy the whole world, um, uh, then what – and nothing else changed in the world. Uh, what, what would that mean? Would that really make us safer? Uh that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Details you know, or, matter. Or would it just, or would it, or would aggressive countries like Iran, like China, like Russia, um, just be able to do whatever they wanted to in their spheres of the world? Yeah, uh, so would that be good? Would that be a good thing? I think it's important for American leftists, American pacifists, Americans who oppose all military, military intervention to think about. What, what that would mean. I'm not sure, but I think it's important not to just assume, oh, we do away with, with, with most of our military, that would be a great thing. Um, mm. I think it's important to, for us to really think about how the world would uh, would look in that, in, that, in that situation. And it would be, in my opinion, really wrong to just knee-jerk react. And, and we, we have to look at specifics. It's, details absolutely matter. And yeah, there is a, a left in America, and hopefully it's 
what we're talking about, you know, the, the left-right alliance against our involvement in Ukraine is, is small and shrinking, and that people are recognizing that, yeah, what we're seeing on TV is reality. What the Russians are doing is really horrendous, really bad, and, and it's important uh, to do that. But there's, there's also a significant left around the world. They're strong in South America in Africa, and so much more of the world. I wonder where they are on this and what they can do. Are they just staying quiet? What about the international? There's, a, ba- there's a battle in, around the world about this, too, yeah, okay. uh, in, part, in part because of national interests, of course. Uh, I mean, if uh, countries that are getting oil from Russia uh, mm. uh, and need, need that oil um, are you know, left in those countries, too, are gonna, is, is quieter about opposing Russia. Uh, I mean, that's understandable. Uh, I think that's true in Brazil, for example. Um, even though you know, I'm very glad that Lula was oh, able to yeah. win re-election there. But I mean, he's not been. Uh, he voted in the UN against Russia, but he's not uh-huh. uh, going to get involved in any serious way uh, over there. Um, but uh, I mentioned in the piece how the, the UN vote, for example, on on this uh, uh, question of took place last month about whether to oppose uh, Russia. The only countries there are a bunch of countries that abstained. About thirty something countries that abstained, but only I think six countries uh, besides Russia voted with Russia, and, and all of them except one were, were run by, by uh, authoritarians yeah. um, uh, who have crushed their, uh, their opposition. Uh, let me just uh, mention the, the names. Uh, see what uh, in the piece here. Uh, and authoritarianism, you know, I, I do find that fascinating that, uh, you know, we, we call this show Keeping Democracy Alive, and yet the Republican Party is pro-authoritarian. They absolutely are and 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 amazes me how yes it's not in a way it's not a surprise that they align themselves yeah. with people like putin uh, and, and again just convince the left again you know the uh i quote at the end of the piece uh, a uh, sociologist um from from ukraine um yes uh who uh is speaking really for the ukrainian left in general alona Lyasheva, her name is, um, and and she says it's important to analyze every conflict, understand all the players, the dynamics, and who's culpable. Um, and she says, in the case of Ukraine, it's far simpler than many on the left think. Ukraine was attacked by an imperialist army. As a result, we are in a struggle to defend our lives and our very right to exist as a sovereign nation. And uh, there's no one on the left uh, in Ukraine that I've heard of who is saying, uh, oh, you know, maybe the Russians hadn't had a had a had a you know reason to invade because of the expansion of NATO. I mean, so, so again, looking at the people who are you know closest to the battle, uh, who are who are like a lot of people on the left, call themselves democratic socialists. Uh, mm-hmm. They have no doubt, you know, uh, what's going on. Uh, they feel like they're fighting for their lives and the lives of their of their families. Um, and you know, I think it's it's. Um, actually, you know, quite indecent, you know, for people on the left in this country or anywhere uh, to say, well, it's complicated. Uh, let's really, you know, think about what happened 30 years ago when NATO expanded. And uh, you know, why can't those people in Ukraine, you know, just come to a nice deal with, with Putin and uh, uh, end this war, you know, happily? Uh, you know, there's a, a certain uh, indecency, immorality, I think, in that, uh-huh. in that point of view, which is which is really why I decided to write the piece, to be honest with you, because I was just a, I, I was I, I was outraged myself, not against the war machine, but against uh, people on my side who I think uh, were, were making arguments, which I think are uh, really kind of immoral. Well, I, I do hope and I, I always I try to be optimistic. Boy, it ain't easy sometimes. But I think more and more of us on the left are shedding 
any ambivalence about it and are in fact supporting Ukraine independence against this brutal Hope assault. You're right. Hope you're right. I, I'm afraid it's going to go the other way just because the war keeps going on, but we'll see. We'll uh, we will. Oh, thank you so much. It's always great to speak with you, Michael Kazin. Uh, and then the book, uh, What It Took to Win, A History of the Democratic Party, just came out in paperback. It's on Macmillan, I believe. And uh, it's always good to talk with a sensible, clear-headed voice from the left. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Bert. Popular Ukrainian music from Mara Rika. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. It's on Apple, Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.